Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. Moses, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Back again for another episode of the Derek Izzy Show. Moses, how are you doing? I'm feeling good, boss. Got a chance to visit with the grandkids over yeah. the weekend. And how did that go? We had a good time. Cool. What'd you do? We were up at the cabin and it was just it was just nice. I'm glad I've got some family that I can hang out with that will put up with me. <laughs> yeah. And we had fun. That's good. We always have fun. Of course you do. Well, Moses, welcome back to another episode of the Derek Izzy Show, and welcome back to all you listeners. Growing the show consistently every month is what we like to do, and I just want to thank all the listeners for that because that comes directly from your hard work. Telling your friends about the show, telling your family about the show, and sharing our posts on Facebook. What's that? We have a Derek Izzy Show Facebook page, and you can go to that page and find updates on the show. All the brand new shows get posted to the page. If we're going to do a meet and greet, we start looking for interest on the Derek Izzy Show Facebook page, and it also allows you to share the show with all your Facebook friends. All you have to do is click the share button, And it will get shared to whichever friends you like. Or you can share it with friends you don't like. Either way, share the show. It's free and it's an easy way to help us get the word out. And now, the lucky winner, Moses. I understand we have a five-star review winner for the month. This month's five-star review selection comes from AJ, a listener from Ohio. Go ahead and uh, rattle that one off to us. I always learn something new. Podcast is very informative, and it's really entertaining. Derek does a great job. Well, thank you, AJ in Ohio. Thank you for that five-star review. If you'd like your review read by Moses on the Derek Izzy Show, just go to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, Give us a five-star rating, let us know who you are, and Moses will read your review live on the air. And now, the topic of today's podcast. The topic of our podcast is sitting in jail, convicted of several crimes. He has the hopes of donating a kidney. This kidney donation will allow him to save the life of someone he barely knew. Why would somebody in jail want to 
give their organs to someone? Is that going to lessen his sentence in jail? Is that going to make life easier? No, it won't. In fact, donating an organ from jail is a very difficult procedure. Ernie Peckman was in dire need of a kidney transplant. He was on a long list of thousands and thousands of candidates that needed a donation, and it was beginning to look like he would not be able to receive a kidney, and of course, he was facing an agonizing death. His family had done their research. They'd reached out to everyone they could find. They posted on social media. They made phone calls to groups to try and get donations. They ran ads in the local newspaper, the print media, the television media, radio media. They got the word out there in the hopes of finding a donor who was compatible. It was all a means to no end. His family and friends, while they were there for him, Ernie Peckman was on death's door and not going to receive a kidney. The year is 2005. The topic of our podcast sits in jail. A letter arrives for him. He opens this letter, and it's a news story from a paper in Long Island. In that letter came a request for help. While that request was not from Ernie Peckman, it was about him. Ernie had four kids and a wife that he was about to leave behind. The topic of our podcast really didn't know Ernie. Ernie was the brother of our topic's ex-girlfriend. That's the connection. Now, Ernie's story, he seemed to have gotten an infection several years before 2005. He contracted strep throat. You know, he'd be sick for a few days and then treat with antibiotics and then he'd be fine. What he didn't know was that this infection had started to spread throughout his body. Over the next couple years, he would slowly get worse and worse. With his health deteriorating and the stress building up, he was starting to experience a multitude of symptoms. He was going into the hospital three times a week for dialysis. And for those of you who have never been through dialysis, it is not a fun procedure. But he was there three times a week. As this infection spread throughout his body, the filtration system in his kidneys was completely useless. I think it's common knowledge that everyone has two kidneys and you really only need one to live a healthy life. And Ernie had zero healthy kidneys. Sure, he was on the waiting list to get a transplant, but how long would that take? With such a huge waiting list for an organ donor to die, the estimated wait time was seven years. Ernie was not going to live seven years without his kidneys. His family's effort to get him a donor kidney was about to make some headway. As I told you before, the efforts that his family made, they didn't seem to be going anywhere until Ernie's mother began to reach out to friends of friends in the hopes of just finding one good donor for her son. Now, you've got to realize the odds of finding a donor from a random person are, are slim because, because the kidney has to actually be compatible with her son's system. Ernie's mother reached out to the topic of our podcast. She sent him a letter asking him to get tested to see if he was a match to donate a kidney. To everyone's surprise, he volunteered. Now, getting a kidney donation from a prisoner is a complicated process. 
The topic of our podcast was all for it. He wanted to give the kidney. But the legal system was against this process. The topic of our podcast had been in jail for a while, and he knew that the process would not be easy. He also knew that there could be a lot of publicity with a convict, a living convict, donating an organ to somebody. And he knew he had to keep that secret. So they wanted to keep this whole story out of the press, and they wanted the donation to happen as soon as possible because nobody knew how long Ernie had to live. He had already gone three years, and his condition was seemingly getting worse every day. So here we have a convict who's going to try and make this court case work, because convicts can't just donate organs. It's a complicated legal process you have to go through, and it has to be signed off by the judge. Well, the topic of our podcast was able to get this process started. He convinced the judge to sign an order for a blood test, just to see if he was a match. The victims of our convicted criminal, they were completely against this process. Here we have a convicted criminal who did many horrible things, and now he's trying to donate an organ so that someone he really doesn't actually know can live. Would you be for that or against it? If he had done something horrible to you or to a member of your family, would you want him to have the ability to help somebody else live? Or would you see it from the perspective of a lot of his victims' families that they don't want him to have the ability to do that because that gives him pleasure to know that he was able to save someone's life? Which side of the fence would you be on in that situation? Would you be against a criminal because he's reaching out to help someone? knowing that that's what he wants to do and that he will get satisfaction from helping someone? Or would you be happy because a life is being saved, regardless of who is saving it and why they're saving it, a life is being saved? Well, after the judge signed the order for the blood test and against the amazing odds, the topic of our podcast was a perfect match to donate a kidney. Now that they knew the topic of our podcast was a match, you would think that would accelerate the court proceedings and that Ernie would get his kidney. But that's not how the legal system works. Like I said before, this was a complicated issue. They got a judge to sign an order authorizing the kidney donation, but nothing is ever that simple in life. Even though they had a signed order from a judge, months went by and still nothing had happened. Now, when you run a test to see if somebody is a legitimate donor, when this test was run, the results were valid for one year. And now we are stuck. We're stuck in the legal system. Months are going by after a judge signed the order authorizing the donation. But finally, the donation was allowed to happen. A kidney was pulled out of the topic of our podcast and inserted into Ernie Peckham. The operation was a success. Now, when Ernie was in the hospital, he trusted the doctors and nurses who were working on him. I'd say the same about the topic of our podcast, too. As they're taking his kidney out, he's got complete trust and faith in the medical professionals that are working on him. And I'm sure a lot of you do, too. When you go into the hospital for surgery, yeah, you're signing waivers and legal documents that 
protect the hospital in case something happens. But at the same time, you trust that they've got educations, that they're good people, and that they're there to help you. It's kind of a blind trust thing. And you're, depending on what type of operation you're receiving or what type of procedure, you may be out cold and if you're asleep, you have no idea what's going on and you just have to trust the people that are there. And trust was exactly what the topic of our podcast had for the medical professionals. Born in West Orange, New Jersey, he was the youngest of eight children, came from a very religious Catholic family, very traditional family. He had a, you know, a stay-at-home mom and his father was a bus driver. Now, seeing as he was the youngest of eight children, his father died when he was a little baby. Topic of our podcast was only seven months old when his father died. The death of his father proved to be a horrible experience for the topic of our podcast. He had a lot of issues when he was a child. At the young age of nine, he made his first attempt at suicide. He had a chemistry set, and he mixed a bunch of the chemicals together and then drank it in an effort to kill himself. Of course, he was unsuccessful. He was picked on a lot in school, a smaller, frail individual. He had a hard time growing up. He had a rough childhood. At the age of 17, his mother was killed in a car accident. A year later, he attempted to exact revenge on the kids in high school who bullied him. He went to a party, And you know he's got experience with chemicals. Well, he laced several drinks with rat poison in order to get revenge on some of the students who had bullied him. Luckily, no one died in this incident. But it kind of set the stage for the direction where he would head. He drops out of high school. And he enlists in the Navy. He got to the rank of petty officer, third class. He was on a team that operated the ship's Poseidon missiles. After showing some signs of instability, he was transferred to a supply ship. Over the next few years, he would attempt suicide several times, unsuccessfully. He would then be discharged from the Navy. This brings us to 1988. He got his first hospital job at the burn unit in St. Barnabas Medical Center. There was a judge who was admitted to the hospital after an allergic reaction to a blood-thinning medicine. The topic of our podcast was one of the workers involved in treating this judge. But the judge mysteriously died. Authorities investigated the death, but didn't seem that there was anything wrong. Several other patients seemed to die while the topic of our podcast was on duty or in the near vicinity. But none of the deaths seems suspicious. He works in a hospital. People die all the time. When authorities investigated, they didn't find any hard evidence that the topic of our podcast was responsible for anyone's death, but they did find some contaminated IV bags and thought that the topic of our podcast might be the one responsible, but they didn't have enough legal grounds to do anything about it. The topic of our podcast leaves St. Barnabas Hospital. He takes a job at Warren Hospital. At Warren Hospital, people started to die. But again, it's a hospital. People die all the time. And a lot of these patients were elderly. In fact, one of the victims 
had complained about a sneaky male nurse injecting her with medication while she slept. But she's an elderly patient. Her family kind of brushed off her comments as, you know, she's just old and nurses are doing their thing and sometimes elderly patients don't want to deal with the nurses so they they either don't know what's going on or they just don't want to be bothered. Well, all this chaos is happening in hospitals. The topic of our podcast was going through a difficult situation in his personal life as well. His wife had filed for divorce, and he was struggling to make child support payments. In fact, he said that the order to make child support payments would prevent him from quitting his job as a nurse. He had to continue working in order to make his child support payments. He was hired by Somerset Medical Center in New Jersey. From what authorities have been able to confirm, the majority of his activity happened at the Somerset Medical Center. The patients who had placed trust in the topic of our podcast had that trust violated. The topic of our podcast had a system. The drugs he chose were drugs that really wouldn't raise a red flag because they were commonly used. Eventually, colleagues started to catch on. The authorities started to catch on. Injecting drugs into IV bags was fairly easy to do for a nurse who's on duty. A colleague of his had noticed some of his suspicious behavior. She noticed him taking cardiac medicine to patients who were not located in the cardiac unit. This raised a red flag with her, and she started to examine his medical charts, the charts where you keep notes on everything that you're doing with patients. His charts were a mess. The topic of our podcast was known as a nurse who followed strict guidelines and was very neat and tidy when it came to his treatment and his following of the rules, but when it came to his charts, you would expect them to be in order as well, but they were not. A lot of writing on his charts made absolutely no sense at all, but no one had actually stopped to examine them. As evidence began to build, the authorities were closing in on him. After resigning and being let go by several hospitals, he was eventually caught by authorities. On December 12, 2003, the topic of our podcast was arrested and charged with one count of murder, one count of attempted murder. When asked why he murdered these patients, his answer was simply to prevent them from suffering. You can compare it to putting a dog to sleep. Now, I don't know if he actually believes this, or if this is just what he said to investigators, but it seems like at least part of him is convinced that he ended the suffering of these patients that they were in the hospital and they were looking forward to a life of horrible treatments or an incurable disease or a lot of suffering. And what he did was gave them an easy out so they would not have to endure the suffering that was awaiting them. In his eyes, he was an angel. He was protecting them from suffering. During his interviews with the authorities, he admitted to killing upwards of 40 patients. 40 patients went into the hospital 
put their trust in the nursing staff and had their trust violated. While he did admit to killing upwards of 40 patients, if you go back and look at all the different hospitals he worked at and all the deaths that may not have a concrete explanation, it is possible, and some of the authorities think, that his actual victim list may be closer to 1 to 200. He was mentioned on the TV show Criminal Minds. During the Criminal Minds episode, they refer to their unsub, which is what they refer to as short for unknown subject, i.e. the killer that they're investigating. But here's the clip from Criminal Minds. I'm trying to protect my city from what could be the most prolific serial killer since Charles Cullen. What about Michael Stranko? Florian Gall, Christopher Hargrove. I don't know those names. Those are Cullen's victims. Directly from the Criminal Minds show, now you know that the topic of today's podcast is Charles Cullen, a nurse who also happened to be one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. After he was sentenced to jail, spending his life in prison, He was able to make that kidney donation to Ernie Peckham, but knowing where that kidney donation came from might change your perspective, or it might not. But now you know the rest of the story. And before I leave you, I will leave you with one quote from Charles Cullen. He says, If you're asking if I knew what I was doing was wrong, I saw that I was stopping pain removing pain. I saw it as shortening the duration of the pain, ending pain. Sometimes the pain was patients who were suffering and terminal. Sometimes it was the pain of families being ripped apart. Sometimes it was the lives of patients that would only be tied up in an endless series of procedures and complications and pain. But if you're asking, well, I knew that it was illegal and that it wasn't my choice to make, but it's how I thought about it. I felt compelled to do what I did. I didn't see it as bad. I did know it was illegal. Straight from the mind of the serial killer, he believed what he was doing was showing mercy for his patients. Today's episode was brought to you by Blue Apron. If you'd like a meal that won't put you in the hospital, go to blueapron.com izzy Get $30 off your first order, blueapron.com slash Izzy, and sign up for the Blue Apron services. Blue Apron is an amazing company. They will ship you all the ingredients that you need to make wonderful restaurant-quality meals at home, and you've got step-by-step instructions with pictures. You know what everything's supposed to look like. It's an excellent experience. Get your whole family together. Get the kids up. The kids can help make dinner. What you will end up with at the end of the recipe will be delicious. Like I said, restaurant quality food, step-by-step instructions, and it is good stuff. I get Blue Apron all the time, and trust me, you will not regret it. You can sign up for a week, and if you don't like it after a week, cancel your subscription. It's very easy. BlueApron.com slash Izzy. You can get $30 off your first order because you heard it here on the Derek Izzy Show. 
Thank you for listening and tune in next month for a new episode about a topic that I will tell you nothing about, so it's a complete surprise. Good day.